the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Planted with Sarah Pion. I'm Sarah Pion, your host. And today we have the legendary prankster queen, godmother of the hippie counterculture, and all-around amazing woman, Carolyn Mountain Girl Garcia, joining us today. MG, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, it's wonderful to be here with you, Sarah. We we haven't met before, so this is this is really fun. I I really like uh, getting interviewed by by women in the cannabis industry. I think I think women have a very uh, special relationship with uh, with cannabis and growing and you know nurturing plants. And I think that this is this is going to be a good matchup. Yeah, so, I'm. So- you got it. <laughs> I'm so excited to have you, especially because, um, well, talking to a lot of my female friends who have been in the movement for many years, like yourself, one of the things that has most commonly been commented on is that the guys got a lot of the glory where the women did a lot of the work. This is this is kind of true. I think this happens a lot. Um, I, uh, when I first started growing, I was the only person I knew that was doing it, but within a year <laughs> that changed because I was very generous with my first crop and gave it and showed it to everybody. And then boom, there was suddenly a tremendous interest in growing and people started calling me, you know, like, Hey, how did you manage to get that, that, um, you know, that sativa to come up and grow like 10 feet tall just in six weeks. You You know, they would ask me these crazy questions over and over and over. And I finally realized, damn, I can't spend all day on the phone telling people how to do this. It doesn't work. So I had to write a book. And so I did. And that did really well. It's still doing well. Yeah. I looked it up and I was, I was going over it and, and actually you were one of the first people to write a book on cannabis cultivation. And we, we don't talk about that. One of the first books was written by a woman. Yes. So, you know, there, there, was, a, there was a couple other books before, but they were, they were very different. I just wanted to do a grow manual, mm-hmm. you know, this, with what I was laying out. It was organic. And that was important to me, too, that we not just get in there and support a chemical environment for our wheat crop, we want it to be organic. We want it to be clean and free of chemistry. So uh, that that was when I took a deep dive into researching organic growing and I found out it made all, all made perfect sense, you know, and, and so that's what I did. I wrote about it. I, you know, when you look at the fact, and I don't think some people don't realize this who aren't in touch with the plant that cannabis whether we call it cannabis or hemp or what have you is a bioaccumulator so everything in the air everything in the soil it leaches environment that you grow your cannabis in is important you don't want to be in in bad soil or soil that's been contaminated with something and you certainly don't want to have it in a place where it's just collecting car exhaust all day you know it's this you know fresh air sunshine clean water that doesn't have too many, uh, you know, too many quarts of bleach in it or whatever people use, that whatever cities use for their water. You want to find a way to, to make everything as natural as possible. Well, and speaking of nature, you actually had a connection to nature before you even grew because I was doing some reading about you and your mom was a botanical illustrator and right. your dad was an entomologist. Correct. For the state of New York. That's right. Yeah. Right. So, so I grew up hearing their conversations. So I had the vocabulary, you know, even if I didn't know what a lot of, a lot of it meant, uh, as I was growing up, I, I realized I had a, a window into the world of horticulture and pest control, both. And, uh, that gave me a real leg up on how to quickly make the unknown world of cannabis growing into something that could be known. And so I immediately wrote a book uh, called The Primo Plant the very next year after I did my first big crop. And uh, all of this, the, the first big crop was, I think, about 20 plants, most of which were individuals. They, in other words, I was taking seeds from, 
friends of mine in the Grateful Dead and in the rock and roll industry that they had gotten from all over the place. So I had tremendous variety to work with. And that was very educational because they were all different. And, um, you know, the, the, the stuff that we got from, um, from Africa didn't do nearly as well as the stuff that was from, from Central Europe somewhere. You know, it was climatically in, inappropriate. So I had to learn about all these little fine points because I was growing outdoors in, in my garden in California and, you know, experiencing some, some uh, complexity because the plants were all, I was, you know, each, each little part of the garden had a different kind of weed in it. Being in the rock and roll industry, we had tremendous access to, to seedy weed because that's all there was. There was no sense of me in those days. It was just something you heard about. Yeah. You know, this was possibility but everything came with wads of seeds so you know i had i had a real easy time finding stock it was good <laughs> well that reminds me because when i was growing up and i i first started using cannabis that was you you had your tray because you had to clean it all up before you used uh, it with a little tray with a with a with a little card you know and you're getting the seeds out of there and i'm looking at those seeds and thinking of their potential yeah you know, most people just dumped them in the trash and I'm going, ooh, you know, gee, that Afghani seeds look really nice. Can I have some? That's <laughs> so, it. It was easy once I once I've worked it, you know. It was great to have access to a wide variety of cannabis seeds. Now and today you can't get cannabis seeds unless you buy them, you know, in a little tiny. <laughs> oh, I know. I. <laughs> I did some growing the other year and I just did it for seed propagation because I had I had some males and females and I like to juice the males because I like to have <laughs> THCA in my smoothies. Oh, yeah. that was not known in the past. That's a wonderful thing. Oh, it's it's like it's non-euphoric. It's so calming. It helps me focus. But you can always tell when I used to work in a dispensary, you could always tell when somebody hadn't been in a dispensary and had been smoking homegrown for years because when they'd come in they'd ask for sensimia and i'd be like it's all sensimia man (laughs) yeah exactly and so that's um i i believe the all sensimia thing is a bit of a business practice hustle you know just to keep don't don't give the customer seeds because they might want to grow their own and so uh gee folks i don't know how to how to fix that for you but but uh it's really fun to grow your own and incredibly therapeutic when i when i talk to people about because i do policy uh, throughout the nation and when there are states that don't allow home cultivation my argument always is well you can grow your own tomatoes at home but how many people are actually doing that yeah i I am right now (laughs) tomatoes they're outside but it's just you know once you learn how to grow weed you can really pretty much grow anything you've been introduced to the world of plants you know and our attention to to uh cannabis as we're growing it teaches you so much about what plants want you know the the time that you walk outside and you look at your plant all the leaves are hanging straight down because you forgot to water them two days ago and you you know each of these things is a lesson in in maintenance and and habituation to a, a routine and we become much better uh, owners of, of plants through that training. So cannabis is a really good, a really good way to learn how to grow plants. And, you know, I'm I'm big on squash these days. I think squash is amazing. <laughs> I I love squash. Squash and sweet potatoes are two of my now, favorites. Once, you, once you've learned how, it it's it's a real delight to have a big garden. Yeah, and there's there's nothing like going into a grow. I, I, I try to explain to people who, especially if they are, they've been caught up with the stigma of the past, and I'm like, just walk in a cannabis garden, and you'll feel so differently about the plant. Yeah, and you know the whole the ability to grow outdoors is is a, you know a, a very sacred thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, because so much of our commercial weed is grown indoors in very strict conditions and so it's um it's very clean you know it's a very very good product and yet 
I would rather be walking around outside, you know, smelling the, the leaves and stuff. You know, so I, I, I still, I still do dabble, frankly. I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree. It's like when you do the indoor grows, you have these very pristine, beautiful buds, but there's, it's, it's like, um, a couple years ago, I had Phil Katori on the podcast and he, you, do you know Phil? Sure. Yeah. How could I not? <laughs> right. Well, and we yeah. were having a great conversation about because alongside his grapes, he yes. he grows weed. And we were talking about Appalachians and terroir and how all of that is not just about grapes. It's also cannabis benefits from yeah. that as well. Yes. So, it, you know, and it's. You know, in the whole learning process of, of growing a, a very fast-growing plant like cannabis, where you don't want to make a major mistake and give it the wrong fertilizer, you know, overwatering, all of these things, it's everything in moderation. And um, it seems to work really well. It is a weed, so it's not hard to grow. It's darned easy to grow. But, you know... I feel like so many people have never experienced growing anything outdoors, you know, because half of our population is lives in a city and they wouldn't, wouldn't do that. So, you know, I, I always was wanting to have a place in the country where I could feel relatively safe. And it seems like this, the safety issue here in Oregon is, is pretty much taken care of. I think we're good, but, uh, um, other places, it's so good to be able to go outside and visit your plants in the sunlight. And um, I, I know that uh, early early on, farmer friends of mine had a, had a ritual. They would have a hot tub out there in the garden, and so it was it was a it was encouraged that you go out there and take your clothes off and, and wander around amongst the plants and go back and forth to the hot tub. So. That was that was <laughs> that was one of the fun things. Oh, that's awesome! That that brings to mind like when um in Japan where they do forest bathing, where you go into the forest. Yes, same concept. Yeah, just be around them with nothing between you. You know, just air and and sunlight. So yes, we we have a tendency to romanticize our our marijuana patch, but go right ahead. You know, it is kind of romantic. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Well, and I think for people who live in cities, I mean, we only know what we know, right? Um, yes. I moved here almost 30 years ago, but I'm originally from the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, where it's basically a gigantic state park with like a college town and a couple of little towns in there. <laughs> <laughs> I really had, I had the privilege of being able to drive like five minutes and be in the middle of nowhere. So when I, I moved to San Francisco, which I came to visit, I fell in love with the city, just the area and the people. My mom asked me, you know, why do you want to move to a busy city where it's so expensive? And I said, because for the first time, I felt like I belonged and there was nothing. I, there's no way I could be weird in the Bay because there's always someone weirder next to me. But, oh, yeah. you know, but the one thing that got me was. I didn't realize how much I was used to that environment, like the quality of the air and the ability to go somewhere and be alone and being around plants. I, my first year in, in San Francisco, I was easily overstimulated. As much as I loved it, there were times where I had to kind of retreat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think, I think that sensitivity is something you don't want to lose in your life. You want to, you want to retain the ability to use your sensitivity because that gives you a special skill also, you know, your, your awareness, uh, your, your physical presence in, in the, in the environment that you're in and how you, how you are in that environment. This is stuff that, I mean, you can walk right through that stuff and never think about it. But I think as a, as a person who's involved with plants, sometimes it's good to think about where your feet are and where your roots are and what's going on. Why is the sun behind that building? You know, it's just, it's, it's environmental awareness of your, of your personal environments right around you. Yeah. I think growing a big garden, you get that. Now, when you, when you came from New York to the Bay and, and I, understandably the Bay was a very different place than it was, it was, a, you know, definitely more of a city, but it wasn't like it is now. How, how did that feel for you? 
Oh man, I, I felt liberated. I was, I had a ball. I mean, I came to Palo Alto. My brother was doing uh, graduate work at Stanford and he, and, and I was getting kicked out of school, out of high school and getting in a lot of trouble. <clears throat> you know, this was pre-campus. <laughs> this is my name. But, uh, uh, so he rescued me from from a certain disaster with with my parents really getting tired of my shenanigans, and he took me out. He was doing graduate work at Stanford, and he and his wife put me in their car and drove me out to California and said, "Okay, go get a job." So that was that was how I got to California, and it was a good, it was a good thing. You know, California is a very different state from upstate New York. Uh, where I grew up was was very Republican, and you know it just didn't seem to be progressing very very much. But California always felt like it was in in progress. You know everything was all happening, all happening, happening, and so that was a very different vibe. I, I appreciated it, and I got a job at at Stanford working in the in the chemistry lab, and so as a tech that had its issues as well. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but the parties that they had, the, the chemistry students that were from all over the world at Stanford, uh, they were up. They were a blast. It was just a wonderful at night, you know. And all the faculty had gone home. There was a twenty-four hour a day party going on in the, well, I should say, all night long party going on in the chemistry lab upstairs. And so I got to meet people from all over the world. Wow. Who were who were into into organic chemistry and that was some conversation you know i couldn't keep up but at least i got to hear it yeah yeah so very very interesting environment to fall into it's i i just love being placed in a room with a bunch of brilliant interesting people yes people and there you just you're you know, it's like it's like feeding the brain you know it's very it's a very rich diet of of words you have to be able to to listen carefully but i i enjoyed it a lot and i made some really good friends there and then you know it just it it seemed like i wasn't going to be able to make a living as an organic chemist none of that it really happened but i could see where where weed might help me with that <laughs> well yeah, so. and and t going back to weed did you did you try it for the first time in new york or was it when you came to the bay yeah, I hadn't even heard of cannabis in, in upstate New York. It was, it, to me, it was un, was unknown. And uh, nobody, it, it, it wasn't until about, oh, maybe nine months later after I got to California that I first encountered it. So, and uh, that was, a that was, you know, I realized right away, oh, this is, this is going to be a lifetime relationship because it improved me. You know, there was parts of myself that were kind of ragged around the edges and I could feel how cannabis could smooth off some of my anxiety and actually made me a better person. I thought I still think so. Yeah. I don't know. Well, it's it's interesting that you say that because I know like when I first tried it and I was a precocious kid that drove my parents nuts. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, I, you know, and, and for our listeners out there, my first time using it, I was far too young. I was 13. But I also yeah. found out that I had anxiety that was underlying that I was just used to living with. And that made a huge difference in, in being, beginning my awareness as a young woman about how I was feeling and, and how I processed information in our environment. And when I've worked with individuals who may not have had exposure to cannabis before. That's something that I hear back a lot is when I'll mention to them, you know, this could help you with your anxiety. If you have any, like, oh, I don't have any anxiety. And then they come back and they're like, you know, I tried it and I realized that I do. And it, and it helped. And I didn't know what it felt like to be calm. I think that's a very good observation. I think that that calmness, I mean, not all weed, let's just say it right out there, does that for Truth. you that's the opposite yep. but you get to choose you get to choose what your what your preference is because there's so many different varieties now that are available but just getting a good relationship going with the plant i think also has a very soothing 
you know, it feels good. It feels good to to get next to your ten your your ten or twelve plants, you know, somewhere and just and you know, there's that wonderful show on TV <laughs> about crazy people growing pot. But uh in and just the whole thing of talking to your plants, of course we do this. You know, you naturally stand out in the garden and talk to your plants and and my offspring had problems with that. They thought I was pretty batty, but <laughs> no, <laughs> they don't talk back. So that was that was good. But I felt I felt empowered, you know, to go forward with discussing cannabis with friends and teaching, and and then putting out, you know, good information, mm-hmm. which seemed vital to me. The first couple of grow books that I encountered, I won't mention them. I didn't think they were particularly well, well done. And so I did my own and it's just an organic method, very simple, you know, just move, go straight from, from growing cannabis organically. You can grow broccoli, carrots, you know, tomatoes, squash, whatever, whatever. It's all going to grow great with that program. So, you know, and discovering organics, you know, what is organic gardening exactly? And you know what? It, what can it do for for your for your land? You know, if you've got a piece of land, and you take care of it in an organic way, it's going to improve. It's going to improve tremendously over several years. And all of this, you know, effort just makes things better. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I I love the holistic way that you're talking about it. And I think. And I'm going to preface this with, there are lots of lovely, thoughtful males in the world, too. And, <laughs> and <laughs> what I found was like, when I first started working in cannabis in the 215 days, there were a lot more women involved in really creating thoughtful education and products and beautiful flowers. And uh, there were also some men doing that, too. I'm not going to say that there weren't. But when we started to get definitely more male-oriented in the industry, I felt like along with the hubris came the lack of care. That's an interesting, yeah. I think it was, it's a different way of seeing. And, you know, people say, oh, men and women, you know, I think they do see things differently. Men were much more concentrating on the, the fine, final product and not so much on just the, the relationship of growing you know, the daily, the daily tending, which I loved, you know, that's great. Oh, look, you're doing, you need to get out there and talk to them. You know, and my kids would say, mom, stop talking to them. (laughs) (laughs) But it works, you know, you have a personal relationship with them. And that, that Thai weed is not going to grow the same as the Mexican weed. They're different. And the, you know, that's, that's the fascination was the fascination for me was to see how different the different um, seeds were from different parts of the world. I mean, they're really different. And, and yet, they're cross-pollinating in my garden. So That's that, what I know, wanted to ask you about. What was that like, the cross-pollination? Well, it was interesting. You know, part, part of this is like, how much trouble do you not want to get into? And, you know, it, because living in a, in a suburban place, you, you're, you have issues, uh, you know, you start to get worried about, about having too much, too much plants, your plants are too tall, the neighbors can see them, you know, that kind of stuff becomes an issue. So um, it just seemed like people were gifting me seeds once they heard that I was growing and nobody else was at that time. They would gift me seeds from all over the world, especially being associated with the rock and roll band. They were, they were constantly getting, because they were going to New York, they were going to Texas to, to play. And the, the um, equipment handlers for the band were really good sources of exotic seeds and, um, and stories, you know, but what they'd seen out there. So, um, I felt like I got a really fast education and decided to just go ahead and tell everybody everything I knew. That's awesome. Well, why not? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Well, and, and I suppose too, because of, because of your relationship and your standing as, as a very young matriarch of that whole group, I'm sure there were lots of people who really wanted to share with you too. 
Well, they wanted to share, but they also wanted wanted to come and find out how to do it. Yeah. So that be the other role. And plus I had, you know, by year two, I had way too much weed, I had, you know, it, sitting around in boxes. So I began to distribute and I believe in, in free. So I did, I did sell some to one guy who wanted to buy, he wanted to buy some so bad, but then I decided after that, no, I'm just going to, I'm just going to put it out there. You know, I'm just going to let it go out there. And um, that seemed like a good, a good solution. But it, but it actually wasn't. <laughs> it, it blew my cover. Oh. And so then I had to get a lot more careful. And uh, I got a couple of warning phone calls. And, uh, and so I had to move eventually. So le- learning how to be discreet was one, one of my lessons. Discretion is the better part of valor, as they say. <laughs> well, <laughs> we think about the Merry Pranksters. We think a lot about psychedelics and the experimentation process around that also i mean that's how the grateful dead got their name from that time but where did cannabis fit in in that scene oh it fit in everywhere (laughs) (laughs) that was really great you know because i had discovered uh weed before i met those guys and but it was it was at that time you know i was a teenager you know and i was a science rat so you know People had cannabis, but it was just a little bit of cannabis, and it was like precious, you know. This, this, you know, it's like, and you know, look behind your shoulder, you know, don't, you know, don't let anybody see you smoking it. You know, just smoke it under the the fan in the bathroom, you know. It was, it was very um, childish in a way. So um, once it became okay to share and to and to actually have your house be a little bit withy. Uh, it was it, it changed things and it became socially uh, acceptable to share and so that's that's what we did it just kind of, it, it's it just shifted and i think when people began to grow um, that weren't commercial growers that they were just doing it for family and friends i think that's when when uh, marijuana really took off in in culture yeah yeah so- expensive you know and you could just oh have some of this try this try that and then and so the joy came back into it because it didn't involve money and so i think a lot of people experienced sort of the the joys of cannabis as a as a giveaway thing and as a you know as a project among people instead of something that you went to buy which mm-hmm. you could still buy luckily and uh so everybody gets gets down this path a different way, I think. And so my way was was getting dirt in my hands and doing it myself. There, it, it's interesting. So I was thinking about, you know, at that time, everything was kind of opening up. And then we started to have Nixon and the war on drugs and everything kind of started to close in again. Because when you're talking about this, like it's so long ago, like when I was younger, it was the same thing. Like it was very precious. You had to be very careful. I am. Um, when I first moved out here, I was at a party and I brought some with me and there was a rabbi and a cantor there and they both liked to smoke. So we went into the bathroom and we smoked and then we pressed our lips against the screen to like blow it out of the house. (laughs) But I thought, I'll remember this forever. (laughs) This is exactly right. Yes. The blowing it out the bathroom window is, is something many people have experienced this. It's an interesting thing that we do, you know, when we when we when we try to deceive our friends, rather than and then eventually that that remanifests itself by teaching your friends what it is you're doing. You know, yeah. Here's this, here's this thing that it makes me funnier, it makes me calmer, you know, and and I drive better too. So, <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like you know it. I think, you know, it makes me wonder about the ancient history of cannabis. You know, I know that they found what they think might have been cannabis in some very old grave scenes in Europe and so on. But I don't think that's been well explored. For heaven, you know, I know they used it for, for you know, um, for twine because it may, has such a fabulous fiber. And that was probably a really easy way, but I imagine 
they used it for everything um, because it's so easy to grow. Yeah, that's it. What when I teach my classes, I always talk about how, you know, we think that it originated from a part in Central Asia, but because, like you said, it's a weed. It's really hard yeah. to show where it naturally was going or where it hitched a ride. Right. Plus, you know, the fiber content, you know, for for cannabis was making rope. That's what they made rope out of. And so that that big stem uh, that we've now trained to not have so much fiber in it, but to get busy and and and, and make uh, cannabinoids, uh, it isn't it isn't the issue anymore. These huge, tall, you know. 12 foot tall plants that you cut down and turn into rope, which was an essential part of, of our, you know, millennial culture a thousand years ago. They did everything with, with really good solid cannabis rope. And we've kind of forgotten about that role, that that was what was going on. And so obviously if they, if they were growing enough cannabis to make big ropes out of, they had plenty for a lot of other things too. They had oil, you know, they had, they had stuff to feed the cows <laughs> or, you know, however it was being used, you know, it was all being used. So as an ancient partner with the human race, I think it had a lot to do with our mental and physical development and our, and our success as a species. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, you know, some people don't realize, well, I think some people who may have taken more than they needed realizes, but that it is psychoactive. Yes. <laughs> Somewhat, yeah, it is, and um, and it, it's, but it's psychoactive, in an interesting way, when it, when you sit down there and you you've had three or four hits and you're looking off in the distance and you begin to have ideas, mm-hmm. because it does promote ideas, especially if in people I think that haven't done a lot of uh, cannabis before, it 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 stimulates the brain in some interesting new ways. Yeah, I think I think that's a really important part of of how uh, our culture has evolved. I don't think it evolved that much with alcohol, frankly. You know, no, alcohol doesn't teach you much, but I think cannabis can. Yeah, I I see alcohol as more of a vehicle for things like tinctures. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. a, a tool to to access other things. Yeah, it's it's a very utilitarian. That's right in the utilitarian role, but but just to to um, change your consciousness, alcohol is very effective at that. But it isn't necessarily going to be your best friend. Mm-mm. No, <laughs> I, a lot of us can say we're not our best selves when we overindulge in alcohol. So I I removed myself from that culture right away as as a teenager, and because it didn't seem to be going anywhere for me. Whereas cannabis always had some kind of direction that would take you, you know, long chain thoughts, which I really enjoyed yeah. speculation about all sorts of things. Well, I think if we really listen to our bodies. I think that that's a common theme because I, you know, from time to time, I still enjoy a glass of wine, but in my late thirties, I, I had colon cancer, which is what got me into the medicinal use of cannabis. Mm-hmm. And though my doctor didn't say, Sarah, you can't drink. When you're going through something like that and you're getting more in tune with your body and you're listening to it, your body doesn't want that. But using cannabis not only helped me with my nausea and eating again, but it also helped me with my frame of mind to be able to go through 12 rounds of chemo and to be present and to be able to be accepting of some things that, if I couldn't, might harm my health because our mental state is so much a part of our overall health. Well, you've been very fortunate, and I think that that you know being challenged that way uh, is is a is a huge deal for a young person, and to have have survived it and and you know spent the mental energy trying to you know promote your own health. I think you know cannabis is a is a wonderful friend for that, and I know a lot of people who have had bouts of cancer and so on that cannabis has helped them tremendously just to ease ease your, your mind also yeah. you know, it stops the eternal warrior that lives in the back of your head somewhere it just makes it quiet for a while and uh you know because we're we really are i you know 
whatever deities made us, I think they wanted us to enjoy enjoy the ride, or they wouldn't have given us enjoyment cells in our bodies, you know, because we have those. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I, I think that we have to have more conversations about, in, instead of prohibition, learning what works well for our bodies and having more conversations about relationships with substances rather than being prohibitive. Yeah, the prohib- prohibition is so easy, you know, to say, oh, just bang, stop, you know, that, but it doesn't um, account for the differences in people, you know, because everybody's a little different from everybody else. And yes, there's trends and so on, but, but, you know, we need to find what's, one needs to find what's good for you in your, in your own life. And I think that's our personal responsibility to try to manage ourselves and our intake in such a way that it, it promotes a better you. Mm-hmm. I've always found that a, a moderate cannabis uh, use has helped me a lot. You know, calm down, not be so in your face. And um, I, I had a lot of, uh, what, what are they called? Problems in school. I spent a lot of time in detention. And, you know, I was, I was pretty out there. And I was very smart, so I would uh, full of smart remarks, and you know, uh, I think I was a real pest. <laughs> but, but um, you know, I, cannabis kind of helped me get over some of that behavior as a as a juvenile. It calm gave me a better calm place to go to, mm-hmm. and it also helped me have the long what I'm talking about the long range thinking. And that I think is is really good to do. You know, think about your life and where is it going. You know, have the big thoughts, and it's it's part of the the function of humans. You want you want to be thoughtful. Yeah, so absolutely. That I think one is the one of the main things that attracted me to cannabis was the thoughtfulness that I got from it. Yeah, yeah. I I think. It could because it was, you know, it was very much the same when I was younger that there was more of a space for precocious young men to figure their stuff out than it was for precocious young women. Yeah. And so it was difficult. Uh, There was a lot of competitive uh, feelings in school and so on. But um, I think I think that cannabis kind of puts all that stuff away. Yeah. Feel so competitive, you feel more in, in clo- not enclosed, but more part. I think it, it, it puts you more in touch with all the different parts of yourself at once, mm-hmm. which is difficult, but yeah, it does. Yeah. And it, it also, I think, for those who are really listening, is a larger. I think that there's so much in cannabis that can be applied to the greater world, like the fact that everything that we put in our body creates a reaction that yeah you know we should be more we need to be thoughtful around that but also when we're looking at like you were talking about giving away cannabis and Mm -hmm. for many years for almost 10 years I ran a compassion program helping give free cannabis to people who are critically and chronically ill and really looking at the fact that yes you can have abundance working and in this industry or owning a business or a product or what have you. But we also have this unique opportunity to change the way we do business throughout the world where you can have, you can have, I guess you'd call it capitalism with compassion where you can give back to your community without depleting yourself. And that's a good gift. You know, it's a good gift to be able to give of yourself and, and still remain full of energy and enthusiasm for life. You know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a balancing act, self and world. But uh, we all, we're all walking that path too with you, Sarah, because it's, that's an, that's an important thing to think about. Yeah. And I know a lot of women who get caught up in giving too much. Mm. Oh, they're just exhausted. When I had three little kids, I was definitely given too much, you know, and I was, and I was pretty wiped out, you know, and, and uh, for a while. But um, yeah, all of the all of the small self-referential aspects of ourselves are important. 
to to go back and look at periodically. Yeah, that reminds me of a conversation I was just having with my mom the other day. I was telling her there's a, you know, there's generosity and then there's turning yourself into the giving tree where there's only a stump left for people to sit on. Oh, ooh, <laughs> that's a horrible thought. You need to make some greeting cards with that. <laughs> right? <laughs> wow. So, yeah, and it's just like we've we've all you and I have been very fortunate in our lives and it's still, it still bothers me when I stop and think about the folks who haven't been so fortunate and um, you know, and their struggle, you know, there's, there's still a lot of struggling going on, but I feel like cannabis is such an easy way to help people relax and basically like each other again, you know, and I, I feel it that, that, that feeling of, camaraderie that comes with it is also one of the very important features absolutely but more loving and open and and we need that we need to do something besides watch westerns on tv so that's it (laughs) well and i also think it's a it's a good call for critical thought because when i when i teach my classes i always tell people you know we have our endocannabinoid system where we create our own endogenous cannabinoids and not everybody can tolerate phytocannabinoids, but most of us can. But for those that can't, it's really important to say that's okay. Because, you know, as human so, beings, we tend to talk about if something doesn't work well for us, throw it out. It's not good for anybody else. Yeah, that's it. And that, that is true. There's all kinds of humans, you know, they're just we have so many different, different tolerances and intolerances. So it is, that is a very good point. And so each person has to decide these things for themselves up to a certain point. Um, I, you, know, you and I assume we're not doctors. Right. But uh, I rarely have to ever go to the doctor. <laughs> I think I take care of myself really good. I'm 77 and um, I've been farting around with this cannabis deal since I was in my early 20s. And I think that it's, it's, it's kept me, I'm, I'm more fun. I feel like I have more fun than, than regular people. <laughs> I don't drink alcohol. I have a thing of, I, I do not process alcohol well. It's a, it's, it's a bummer actually. And uh, most people don't really understand that the second glass of wine can really fling you to the ground. If you're not a, a drinker, if you if you're that person, and I am, I think I come from a long line of teetotalers, actually Canadian, non-drinking. You know, they were good, nice dairy farmers and so on, but I just don't tolerate it. The body just goes goes crazy, and the brain just falls out of your head. So, you know, I I like to stick with what I know works for me. Well, and. And talking about what works for you, you you have your own CBD brand. Oh yeah, that was that was really. I'm really glad I did that. So yeah, Mountain Girls Botanica was born about about five years ago, six years ago, with some friends of mine, and they are currently growing the CBD and, and sourcing the CBD from various growers locally, and so it's it's good stuff. And it just it comes in a little bottle. Oh, look, look, I just happened to have one. <laughs> well, look at that. <laughs> yes. Well, it's called Mountain Girls Botanica. And it's 100% organic because that I insist upon that. I think that's absolutely vital. Uh, and then, and basically, it's, it's CBD to help you function. You know, it's functional CBD. Mm-hmm. Grease the wheels of your mind with a little CBD. Things will run better. Oh, yeah. So and so that's simple enough, you know, just go for the, for the, the medicinal side. This is medicine of a sort, you know, it's definitely calming and soothing to the body as well. So I think it's an important product. Uh, it's, it doesn't get you high, but it makes you feel better. And because it's a CBD hemp based product, people can actually order it throughout the nation. This is true. And, and I've, I've even taken it through airports and, and had them look at it and say, oh, okay, it's CBD. That's fine. 
So that's good. You know, it's good to know that you can travel with it. Yeah. Not illegal. And it is, an, it is a known medicine and it's, it's a, it's a very helpful for anything, you know, sprains, aches, headaches, a lot of things. And I, I hope people find it and use it because it is, it is a plant-based medicine and it's very good for you. Well, I love the fact that you have tinctures. A lot of people don't understand what they are unless you're somebody like, like the two of us who like to geek out on herbs. It's like tinctures have been around for a really long time, but there's a versatility to that because yeah, you can use it as a sublingual you can, yeah. you can add it to food and beverages, but you can also do things like using it topically or adding it to Epsom salts for a bath. There's so much you can do with tinctures that people don't realize. Yeah, and, the, and so ours is a, uh, it's an oil-based, but that's for the CBD. But the alcohol-based stuff has got a whole other range of uses. And that's like another, that's another discussion. I haven't really thought about this in a while, <laughs> about how different those two things are. But they are, and they they both um, absorb are absorbed by the body at different rates. So it's just it's just it's just the, something that people need to discover for themselves. I think. Yeah, I do too. I, I think that there's there's a lot of education and outreach uh, that people should access so that they can empower themselves with information because. When we're looking at plant-based medicines, they just make such a huge difference in our world, but also treating it with respect because, you know, if you're, as for example, if you're taking pharmaceuticals where it says do not take with grapefruit juice, it's not that you can't use CBD products, but you should have mm -hmm. that conversation with your physician, letting them know, because a lot of them don't know about, you know, the interaction with cytochrome P450 and how it can change the way we metabolize our medicines, when I, 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 because I'm of a certain age, I just recently got put on statins and Ooh. I love CBD and I was yeah. worried about how that would impact my CBD usage. Yeah. yeah. But, but telling my doctor, he's like, let's just keep an eye on it. I don't think it's going to be a problem, but having yeah. the conversation with your doc is super important. It's good that your doc was able to, to approach that question. You know, they actually knew something about it. So this is, you know, yes, we're still living in the experiment, however, you're right. And so each of each of our personal experiences with with changes in the body and or think with our thinking, CBD has an effect on those processes. And and we need to get all that information out there where we can look look at it for ourselves and see what's helping and what is what it's not helping. Yeah. I think I think there's there's very specific things that that CBD and just smoking cannabis can do for you. And um, frankly, it's been it's been a it's a, been a fun run, you know, to have get online and talk to people like yourself who are very well schooled. You are very well schooled in all of this stuff, Sarah. So I'm I'm delighted to meet you. It's wonderful to to talk with people who actually have studied this thing. And the fact that, it, that it, it was so unknown when we started out, we were just feeling around in the dark and said, this stuff is weird. Like what's happening? Uh, you know, it's, it's changing things. And we didn't really even have a language for what was going on. But now it's all been beautifully researched and studied and the information is out there. And I encourage people, you know, to pick up a couple of books about cannabis and just look at them at the bookstore pick up some of the vernacular, the, the language that's being used there and see some of the cases that they've done. It's pretty, it's pretty fantastic. It is. And, and I think one of the beautiful things is that we're constantly learning. Cause when I first started, we were just having conversations about CBD and now we have all these other emerging cannabinoids and a lot of them are non-euphoric. Um, and just yeah. see it. Isn't that cool? Yeah. That they can now figure out chemistry and they can take some of this this kind of CBD out over here and put it in a little thing and you can try it. Yeah. You know, some, some weird, <laughs> what is this stuff? Hey, I'm ready. They can try it on me anytime. 
<laughs> well, you know what I've been loving lately? Because I, I love CBD, but I've been really digging CBG, which is, you know, that's the cannabinoid that everything else is developed from. And it's interesting because you can now buy CBG strain seeds to grow, which that that's ultimate geekdom right there. I think that's awesome that this stuff is happening because, oh, specific, specificity, specificity, no, wait a second, specific research that creates this, these now separate strains of cannabis that have slightly different uh, chemical uh, and morphism so we are we are i think we're still in the, the de develop developmental stage of what this plant can do for us yeah it's exciting we're doing a lot for it and what can it do for us and it's really i think a lot of things but as the as the clever growers keep going and keep thinking and and relating to the plants i think we're on a we're on a good roll here and there's going to be a lot more helpful substances come out of this that will help people with neurological disorders you know with their you know god knows their 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 tendons and heart business i don't know i don't know where it's going to go from here but i know it's going yeah my, my greatest wish is that we stick to full spectrum cannabis because i get very worried when we start talking about synthesized cannabinoids no 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 Bad, bad, bad. We don't want that. I mean, what? How the hell do you synthesize a cannabinoid? And why would you? It's going to be incredibly expensive, and it—it's like just you can grow it. You don't have to synthesize it. It's just—it just seems a little odd. Yeah, yeah, it is. I, when I was going through chemo, my mom was doing cancer research at Baylor in in Texas, in the Dallas area. And, and I wanted yeah. to, I wanted to go visit her after, ke after chemo, but I couldn't, I was afraid to bring my cannabis with me. So I got a prescription for Marinol. It was awful. Yes. That stuff is kind of dreadful. Yeah. It's like being hit with a hammer in a way, you know, it just, boom, you're, you're, you're the part of your brain that does a lot of the thinking just kind of has a little fit. I didn't like it either. I couldn't figure out why they thought it was useful. Yeah, was puzzling. <laughs> this is this is laying me low. Why do I want this? So I, I, yeah, I didn't. Be, and also that whole thing of being in charge of your own dosage. You know, we know after a while what's what where to stop. And yeah. then and then plateau. You know, and then you get some work done, and it's helpful. But to exceed, or you know. It's not so great. No, it's not. I found that instead of make, relaxing me and getting me eating again, I was just groggy and crabby. And my poor mom had to like deal with my groggy, gro groggy, canny, groggy, crabby butt all weekend. And that was not fun for her. Yeah. Interesting. Because, yeah, I think, I think, yeah, mood. Mood is not really talked about that much in relationship to cannabis, but we know, I mean, it used to be because it puts you in a good mood if you're ready for it. But, um, but I think there's more to this story. That, yeah. That I think somebody should write a book about that. I think so too. Well, and actually talking about mood and going into creativity, um, when I was talking to another good friend of yours, the late, great David Crosby, David, I know, I know. What a one of the guy. greatest voices I ever heard in my life. He had the most beautiful voice. Just, oh, I get chills thinking about him. Jerry, Jerry Garcia adored David Crosby. They got, they were like this when they got together, and uh, he, came, he used to come up to our house once in a while, and hang out for a weekend. And oh, it was they would they'd play together. And, and, but most of it, a lot of it had to do with smoking weed and playing, playing guitar and, and trying to work on some songs. And so, um, yeah, he was, he was a fountain of improvisational intelligence. I thought his story, David Crosby's story about sailing around the world in his boat without any electricity on board 
all just by old instruments and stuff. It's an astounding story. Yeah. He was brave. That guy, he was astoundingly brave and adventuresome guy. Not, oh, Jerry was not like that. Jerry just wanted to go play music. You know, <laughs> just leave it. In, I don't want to get on a boat. But, but Crosby was, was a very adventuresome guy and, and successful at it too. I have to say he was one of our dearest friends. He he had such a when he was finally talking about getting into flow states, you know, smoking you know joints with Jerry and playing music and he the thing that I really got from him was that he was curious about everyone and everything. Yeah, he was a very active brain. You could just, he was like a sponge. You could just feel him, you know, uh, inventing questions and then just sponging up the answers and he asked yeah he talked to me a lot about growing weed and um he's you know but mostly he just wanted to connect with jerry and and talk about ideas he had a lot of ideas yeah he he was a very special guy and somebody we adored and, uh, we said uh-huh. to have too you know the whole life of musicians is so dangerous. Oh boy, you know it's difficult. It's got weird hours. You're traveling all over the place. You're you're being nice to people you don't know, and it's 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 a difficult, socially difficult and 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 wearing. And um, I can I can understand why some people just drop out. <laughs> well, and you've you know. Of course, like for, you know, the past almost hour that we've been talking, you've you've experienced and seen and interacted with so many people and so many experiences. What are you excited about now? Oh, I guess I'm excited about uh, uh, living as well as I can and not losing contact with people. The gift of the Internet has been a big one for me. Uh you know, our connections to people have a tendency to want to fade out when you're somewhere and everybody and all your friends are somewhere else. But we do have, we have all this connectivity now and we have to remember to use it. And, and that's the, that's the other piece about getting older is that you still have all your facilities, but sometimes you just kind of forget about calling your friends. So, you know, it, it's, you know, it is, it is a wonderful thing that we have all this connectivity. Please remember to use it. <laughs> is it, it makes you a better person and a smarter person and a better informed person. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of connectivity, if people want to follow you, see what you're doing, follow your brand, how do they do that? You know, that's a little, it's a little difficult because I'm talking through, through what, what I know to be true, but maybe not so much about me. I've gotten a little bit more isolated as I've gotten older and have, I feel like I have less to uh, share with the, with the general public. Um, it just doesn't occur to me in this, in the way it used to, but um, no, I know I'm part of the world, you know, and I'm 77. It's like, wow, now what? You know, what's what's the next adventure? And I, I don't know what that is yet. I don't really know. So I'm kind of waiting for inspiration to strike. I mean, I don't really want to write no romance novels. What do you do? But, <laughs> but you know, I just I want to stay in the game. I want to stay in the game of life, you know, as for as long as I can, because it's so interesting. Everything around us, and we have access to it everything i mean how many channels of television are there you know when you start digging around out there it's like thousands and um and yet and yet you know i think using your body to get you from point a to point b is ever more uh important as you get older don't just sit around keep moving is the other thing that's really really important you gotta keep moving uh, and uh, that is and breathe, moving, breathing, talking. These human things are more and more important as you get older. Yeah, they are. And I think the past three years has really proven that because people who haven't been able to get out as much 
as they'd like to. It's it. We are seeing how it's affecting people's physical and mental state. Yeah, COVID has been a slap down for sure. And, um, you know, you can watch basketball on TV all you want, but you really should get out and play some. <laughs> I so, like that. I like that a lot. <laughs> That's true. We all grew up, you know, shooting hoops out in the, out in the yard, you know, and it's, it is one of the better forms of just getting around and bumping into people and, and playing with balls. I think this is a, a natural thing for people. And um, as we get older, we do less and less and less of that kind of stuff. And yet we, sh we need to still have games and fun and keep moving. Yeah. Yeah. That's, those are really wise words because we, especially in this day and age where we're inundated with all sorts of messaging and technology and social media, we lose touch with that. It is crazy how much stuff visits us every day in the form of technology, technology messaging. You know, this is just, it's an amazing thing. Just having, just having the computer on during the day sometimes seems like it's, it's trying to suck the brains out of your head a little bit, you know, but I think, so I turn mine off a lot <laughs> these days and I keep my books and I love my books. Books are still something really important to me um, because they don't involve electricity um, and, and my presence sitting in front of a screen, which I think is not necessarily the most healthy thing to do, that we need to remember our health and that we actually are breathing, walking, <laughs> water drinking creatures, which reminds me, excuse me. Oh yeah. I know I've got mine here too. I, I had a couple years ago, I had what I, I lost my phone for the first time ever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I was very nervous about it. And while I was waiting for a replacement, I had like four days without it. And I have to say it was pretty nice. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. It doesn't bother you that much. Does it to be without it? No, it took yeah. down my anxiety. I wasn't doom scrolling on social media. That's right. And social media, I see people who devote their lives to social media and it bothers me a little bit. Like, where's the payback for that? Is it emotional? Is it, you know, people are paying attention to me? Well, fine. You know, but you're, you're a million miles away from those people. So it is, it's the unreality universe these days, you know, it's real, but it's not present. So we're, I think our physically and mentally Humans weren't really uh, created for um, AI or, or, you know, long distance TV, television programming and all this stuff. We're, we're having to adapt. We love it, of course, because it's so convenient. But it's not the same as, as reaching out and, and putting your arm around your friend. No, it's not. I, you know, there are, sometimes there are genuine connections to be made, but a lot of times there's a a very strange disassociation like when I go to conferences and I'll see people that I'm connected to on social media and I've made comments on their conversations and you feel yeah. like you know yeah I don't know you in real life but we've talked and I want to continue that conversation in real life and sometimes people are very open and generous and they're like yeah oh totally we talked about da 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 but other times you just get that blank stare like deer caught in the headlights and I want to ask so how, what's your intention? Like, is it about making general connections, like good connections with people, or are you just trying to beat the algorithm? Oh, wow. There's, there's some computer talk right there, folks. The algorithm, remind me what an algorithm is. That is a, a mathematical formula of some sort. It is. And, and in social media, it's that special combination of activities that you do to like bring your content to like rise, like, cream to yeah. the top of everything so you get the most attention that would be nice that would be nice if we could think in those terms but i don't want to <laughs> <laughs> I, I just want to have a humor be the pathway you know our our good feelings for each other and our sensitivity to what 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 information we can pass back and forth and, and have a good relationship seems better than algorithms absolutely I had a process an algorithm. I'm sorry. I flunked algebra. <laughs> hey, I had to <clears throat> I I had to spend time 
being grounded on the weekends to get my algebra because I did not, I was not interested in math until I had practical applications. Right, exactly. If it doesn't have a real word world application, it's very difficult as a, I don't know if this is why that is because my eldest brother is a mathematician, was a mathematician and got scholarships to great colleges and all this stuff. And I looked at the stuff he was working. I had absolutely no idea what was going on there. And he would run me through it and show me his homework, you know, like, and I'm going, like, what, what, why, why? <laughs> but it was okay. You know, he, he earned a good living. He worked at, worked at various tech outfits. And, and um, I think that, I think that the whole uh, issue of having to make a living in our, in our society as a young person is, is so fraught and, kind of difficult that I just didn't never want to do it Mm-mm. didn't want to make a living <laughs> yeah I, I once uh I once told one of my nieces that I think the cruelest joke an adult can play on a child is asking them what are you going to be when you grow up instead of saying you're going to be a lot of things yeah because we have to be I have to be able to drive a car you know to be able to cook food you know there's a million things you have to be proficient at to to live in, uh, a decent life in in our culture and part of that is being able to talk to anybody and exchange information in a in a polite fashion and not attack each other and i think that those just the simple conversational ethics program is a really important thing for kids to learn how to talk to other people yeah and it's think it really gets taught that clearly and it took me a long time to learn how to talk about what was really going on in here you know being honest and above board and actually expressing my curiosity instead of just being kind of in a you know thinking but not sharing state yeah kind of having to get out of your own way in a lot of ways mg i'm so glad that we had the chance to talk today and and I'm really looking forward to I would love to have future conversations with you because I feel like we have a we have a lot to talk about. Yes, this is true, Sarah. And I'd love to meet you in in reality, but it's okay to do the digital us. So thank you so much for for coming to my house in your digital form. Oh yeah. And I think we're friends now. Isn't that great? Yeah. I oh MG. Uh, that's wonderful. I really, I've really treasured our conversation and I am looking forward to seeing you in person because we do go to Oregon quite a bit and we, we have friends, other friends in Eugene as well. So I would love that. Forward to it. Thank I'm you. easy to find. I'm in the phone with you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. So nice to talk to you, Sarah. So nice I to think talk you, to you. I think you have a great future ahead of you. Thank you so much. That means a lot sure. coming from you. Good for you. Thank you, dear. Thank you. And everyone, remember, Planted is twice a month. And if you like listening, please give us a review. Share it with a friend. Let us know what your favorite episodes are. And if you'd like to stay in touch over social media, we are Planted with Sarah Pion on Facebook and Planted with Sarah on Instagram and Twitter. You can also go to our website, www.plantedwithsarah.com, or listen to us on our parent network, Radio Misfits Network, where there are other great podcasts like one of my favorites, the Winemakers Podcast. So check it out. You can listen to Planted wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, whether that's Pandora, Spotify, Amazon, Google, Apple, Stitcher, tune in. We are there. So join us. And until next time, stay curious, stay safe. And remember, it's a wild world out there. Be good to one another. Until next time, take care. Mm-hmm.